Hi everyone, Major Mark Beretta here for the special edition of Cove Talk. Thanks for joining us. Um, tonight is a very special one. We're talking to Captain Hugo Tooby, who's had a, a remarkable run in with cancer on two occasions. And his story of resilience and courage and, and getting through that is something pretty special. Just a couple of reminders before we start. Uh, remember the Cove writing competition is underway at the moment. If you've got a great idea you want to put down on paper. Uh, do it now and get it into the Cove competition. And also the Cove app is always there for you. Make sure you take advantage of it and use it. Uh, but Captain Hugo Tooby's story, as I said, is of resilience. He's been struck down by cancer, two different cancers on two different occasions. And the way he's gotten through that and the support he's had is quite incredible. Now, remember that here in Australia, one in two Australian men, one in three Australian women will experience cancer at some form in their lifetime. So it's great to have Hugo here with us to take us through his story, how he dealt with it, and also what it's meant to him. Hugo, thanks for coming along tonight. Thanks for the chat. Um, just to get us up to speed with where you are at the moment, just explain your role in Army at the moment. You know, thanks, Mark. Thanks for uh, for joining me on, on this talk. And um, look, I'm very fortunate that my role uh, in Army, or at the moment anyway, is uh, heavily involved in the, the health and welfare space. So I think it's um, I'm lucky that what I've gone through and the charity work I do as well on the side to kind of have that passion in uniform too. Um, it's great. I feel like I put the uniform on and the work I do at, at, at headquarters Forcom and, and the wider army is heavily involved in um, yeah, all things health and welfare. Mm, which is great. All right, let's go back and start this story. So you're 21 years of age, you're at RMC, you're, you're bulletproof, life is great, you're, you're in your dream role, you know, everything's just, the future is opening up for you, it's beautiful. And things change pretty quickly. What happened? Yeah, that's it. So it was six months left before I graduated RMC. Um, you know, they went through ADFA, so at that stage it's about three and a half years of training. The finish line's in sight. Um, and I had this bit of a lump on my right testicle. Um, you know, felt it didn't have any pain. It felt relatively normal. Um, anyway, that little lump on my testicle I probably put off for about six months because uh, like a lot of young blokes, you kind of think that, you know, she'll be right. I'd go on Google and search lump on testicle, but I'd find like the most least severe thing I could find. Like, oh, that's what it is. It's a benign cyst. Um, but it wasn't until my old man uh, prompted me and um, it was actually his birthday. I remember calling him up and I said, look, on an unrelated side note, Dad, I've got this weird lump on my testicle. What do you reckon? He said, mate, why don't you go to the doctor? I'm like, well, that's a good idea, you know. Um, <laughs> groundbreaking. Groundbreaking, right? <laughs> and especially because where I was at Longtown Lines RMC, the, the RAP, the doctor was 30 metres from my room, but I put this off for six months because I thought, I don't know, I didn't want the doctor I know, having a look at my, my balls or anything like that. So like a lot of young blokes, I was pretty naive about the whole thing. Um, anyway, old man prompted me, went to the doctor, had a feel around, um, didn't think much of it, sent me off for an ultrasound. Um, and then within, you know, 12 hours, I got the call from, from the doctor to go, to go back. And he said, mate, um, you've actually got testicular cancer. Um, but unfortunately it's also spread because, um, I put off that little pea-sized lump. When you were putting it off, was there a fear in your mind that was that part of why you, you waited so long? Yeah, look, there. I think so. Like, I think that fear of the unknown is often the most yeah. difficult part. You kind of, it's like anything, you kind of just, you, you hope for the best. And sometimes that whole just um, pushing it to the side, hoping it disappears on its own, that was definitely at the forefront. Um, so that, yeah, I constantly went through my mind about, oh, it's, it's nothing. Um, and I never really thought that, oh, what if it's cancer or what if it's something more serious? So what's that moment like when the doctor comes back to you, sits you down and says, hey, Hugo, it's testicular cancer? Look, to be honest with you, I was 21 and I was, I was more worried about is this going to impact me graduating, um, believe it or not, because I didn't actually know much about cancer. I didn't have any family history of cancer. And all I was 
keen on is, hang on, can I still graduate? Um, and believe it or not, because the, um, the cancer had already spread and I was already having to have chemotherapy and the follow-on treatment, I could actually put a pause to that for three or four months, pretend nothing was going on, even though I'd cancelled through my body, finish RMC, do my last field exercise, told none of my mates or anything like that. I was very, very hidden about the whole thing. Um, graduated at Canberra RMC, you know, family flew over from, from interstate. And then six days later, I was hooked up and having chemo. And my twin brother shaved my head and away I went. So it was, um, yeah, a bit of that strange feeling, to be honest, especially being only 21, 22. Tell us about the, the treatment. What, what happens from the moment of that diagnosis? What, what's the first stop after that? Uh, so I had the removal of the testicle first and foremost. Um, Did that happen almost straight away? Yeah, pretty much within 24 hours, right. removed the testicle, um, which while we're talking about testicles, Mark, I actually uh, I like talking about testicles. Um, and it was, a, it was a weird moment, right? I don't have to, talk, I have to tell this story because I think it's important. Um, just been told I had testicular cancer, just been told it spread, pretty vulnerable moment. And um, I was in the... Uh, the office of my urologist. And he said, right, Hugo, surgery's booked in for tomorrow. Importantly, I need to, need to ask you a question. I said, no worries. Um, he said, do you want a fake testicle? And I remember saying, yeah, sounds pretty good. I was single at the time, thought, why not? And he got this little briefcase looking thing and kind of flipped it open. Kid you not, I wish I could make this up. And there were different sort of size, shapes and textures of fake testicles. And I remember literally feeling through these te fake testicles and he said, now what size do you want? I'm like, I don't know, match it up with my other one. Like, <laughs> isn't that obvious? And he said, um, well, it's not uncommon for some blokes to want a bigger fake nut. Um, and I do have a bit of a drunken party trick, which I won't do here. Um, but now I kind of get why a fake nut could have been more fun. But anyway, mm. um, it's, it's called real or fake, but we, um, we don't have to. We, <laughs> we, we can guess. Well, you can guess what, what, what goes on there. All about raising awareness, right? Yeah, exactly. getting, getting blokes to check exactly. their nuts in the shower. Exactly. It's what it's all about. But um, look, I do find humour's actually helped me a little bit through, yeah. um, as you're about, you know, about to talk about it, a lot more than just this particular journey. But over the last nine years, humour actually has helped me through some difficult times. But um, there I was, got my fake nut, um, and away I went. And then, um, yeah, put it on pause for a few months, graduated, and then commenced chemotherapy, um, which was the type that did lose all my hair and got pretty crook and, you know, curled up against the toilet. So that stuff you see in the movies chemo can be different for different cancers but for me that's that's how it how it was um and then unfortunately the chemo didn't quite do its job so i had to have um a really big abdominal operation to remove all my lymph nodes um you know it's pretty crook icu for a while and, and hospital for quite a while so um yeah that was quite a big six to 12 month journey um from graduating as a young lieutenant leading up to sort of you know early 2022 20, um until <clears throat> i could really then embark on a a military career um, and, you know, try and, and look, I'd, even when I was bald headed and crook, you know, I'd still go in, um, I was in a compassionate post in Adelaide. I'd still go to work at headquarters nine brigade. I was the LO to the commander, you know, I'd still try and do stuff. Um, you know, there's only so much I could do. Um, but I didn't actually get to full-time work for probably a good 12 months after all those treatments and surgeries and stuff like that. Physically, how tough is it on the body? Yeah, look, it is like it's it's very tough. Um, and I was just having a chat to, to offline, uh, having a chat offline about. I think the one positive is that I was pretty young and fit, so I think that yes, it was tough, but I felt like I could respond pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's not a great drug, right? Like a lot of the cancer treatments are, it, it kills all your healthy cells too, so you're um, you're very sick and you're very crook. 
Um, you know, I'm still on some active treatment at the moment, which, which lowers my immune system and stuff like that. So it's just stuff you always have to be mindful of. Um, you know, but a lot of people are on these medications for a long time and it's, it, it can really impact them long term as well. So this treatment goes on for a period of what, four or five years? Yeah, so this, the chemo went for just under six months and the surgeries, but then there was the follow-on the follow treatment I had, had with that. Um, and then, you know, like, like we're probably going to talk about soon, that it wasn't just the testicular cancer and then it was the follow-on treatment that I had to have as a result of, of other health events. Mm, okay, so let's talk about that. You, five years down the track, you get the all clear, testicular cancer gone, well done, celebrate. Um, bang, you get whacked again. Yeah, that, look, that, that was a tough tough one because I um I was 26 I just got promoted to captain um you know remember the feeling well first time for a long time I was medically upgraded I um got posted to Brisbane to 9 FSB I was even lined up for a deployment you know all exciting as a, a young captain right it's 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 what you what you kind of want to do um and then I got the five-year all clear scan and that was kind of the you know for those who have been impacted by cancer and you would know very well with with the work you do, that that five year marks off on that big milestone, and I remember like cheering with my partner, having a champagne, like it was a big achievement to to be all clear, like you're in complete remission. Um, but that only lasted for about two months, um, and two months later, my bowels started playing up, and I thought, you know, this isn't right. You know, young twenty one year old Hugo who put off that little lump for for six months, at least I was a bit more proactive with my health and. It kind of went on for a couple of weeks. I remember saying to Amber, my partner, no, I, uh, I got to go off to a doctor. Something's not right here. You know, inconsistent bowel movements, um, your stomach pain. Went to the doctor, had a pretty routine colonoscopy, which I don't know if you're at that age yet, Mark. Of, uh, I am. Colonoscopy, so, uh, I have been for a while. Okay. <laughs> um, pretty normal procedure, right? Let camera really? up the bum, have a look what's going on. Like, it's not too invasive, you know, like. Yeah. And I didn't think much of it. I woke up, I was eating my turkey sandwich, you know, happy days. And then um, it wasn't until the doctor came out and said, mate, I found a few really nasty polyps. You know, they're probably nothing, but for your age, it's a bit bit strange if you had family history of bowel cancer. I thought, no. Nah. And I've heard that word. I was like, hang on, what? Anyway, I um, went to work the next day, dressed in my uniform, typing away at my desk. And I remember getting a call from um, the, um, the receptionist and she said, uh, hey, Hugo, Terry, uh, the results came back, Terry needs to see you. And I thought, all right, I'm due to see him in two weeks. And she's like, no, he needs to see you this afternoon. Wow. Um, and then I'm like, oh, that's not good. You know, that sinking feeling in your stomach. And then went to the doctor's appointment and um, I knew something wasn't probably quite right. Walked in and he had this look on his face and he just turned his computer screen around and said, mate, um, sorry to say, but uh, you've actually got bowel cancer. And that, that, that was very difficult to take on because it was two months after I'd just been cleared of testicular cancer. This was a completely new cancer, new primary cancer, had nothing to do with testicular cancer. It's just the timing of it was really bad luck. And bowel cancer is a killer, you know, it's the second biggest cancer killer. Um, and at 26 years of age, you're being told you had bowel cancer and that was tough. Um, and I, I sometimes still get emotional about it, to be honest, um, more so because I can still recall the you know, the moments of um, telling family, you know, and you touched on at the start, something like cancer or mental illness or these health events impacts so many people. Um, you know, I remember calling my old man up and he didn't even know I was having a colonoscopy. And I just said, yeah, Dad, I've got some bad news and I could hear him get emotional. 
and he's not an emotional guy. And then all of a sudden he's, um, you know, I can hear my old man crying because I've, his son's just told him I've got another, another bout of cancer. And you feel like you put your family through all this pain. Like, you know, they're going through this with you and it's really difficult, um, but you don't have a choice. Like you don't have a choice. You just have to just be like, all right, what next? And then I have to just go on the, you know, the follow on surgeries and treatments and, um, you know, I've just been taking it ever since until very recently I found myself in, in hospital again having a, another another um, emergency bowel, bowel surgery. So it's just been been ongoing. But, um, yeah, look, it, that was difficult, that um, that whole initial stage of, of discovering that. Mm. Um, it's, it's often one of the understated things, the toll that it takes on families and the, and the drain of, of resource and emotion and energy on families. But the flip side of that is the support that you get from the family. And, and also your work colleagues too. I mean, how much support have you had from, from family and, and who's been your rock? And, and tell us about your support from Army as well. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. And like for me, support from, from my, you know, fiance, I'm getting married in November. So congratulations. Soon, soon to be wife. She's, um, we've been together for, for eight or nine years and she's been with me the whole time and she's a nurse. So she's kind of got that, that caring trait to her, but she's just, you know, by my side in hospitals and, um, you know, my boss here at work, she saw me in hospital and probably saw my, um, you know, fiance sitting by my bed. She would just, she's done that for, for years. Um, so, you know, she's been a massive support. Um, and I, you know, the whole cliche, I couldn't done it without her. It's, it's honestly true because you kind of, she just takes off that level of stress that you're going through. Um, and then work, like you said, I'm often in the army. We, we hear a lot of the not so good stories of, of people who have gone through, you know, transitioning transitions or health events we don't often hear the the good stories or the success stories of someone who's actually like myself being looked after um but also not just from a medical point of view but my you know colleagues and my you know people I work with and some of my best mates today are my fellow captains who I went through ADFA with or RMC with and we've just been mates ever since um but then also having a job that you have that purpose you know you when you go through what I've gone through, to be able to put that uniform on, you know, you, it's understated how much that does to your, your mental state to feel like you're actually contributing and you can still offer, you know, the army a lot and the job I'm doing. So I'm so fortunate that I've, you know, my partner, my family, and then the army, which is kind of that work family, has just made it that little bit easier. Yeah. Um, Hugo, tell us about the road ahead treatment-wise. Where, where are you? Yeah, so look, I'm um, up until a few months ago, I was doing really well. I was the, the best I'd been for a long time, um, which is fantastic. I've since been diagnosed with a, another sort of bowel disease. Um, I've only got a small bowel left. They had to, due to my bowel cancer, they had to remove my, um, my colon and my rectum. Um, so I had an external bag for about a year. And then remarkably, they reversed the bag and I've got an internal J pouch, they call it. They stretch down my small bowel and create like a J shape. And then over time, that kind of acts as your large bound rectum. So there was about six months I had to kind of learn how to go to the bathroom again like a, a kid. So that was challenging. Um, I still go to the bathroom, you know, 10, 12 times a day, but that's just my new normal. Like it's, I don't know any different now. It's kind of, I just adapt and that's just me. Um, and fortunately, um, you know, it was getting to a stage where it was really good, really manageable. I was doing really well. And then I ended up back in hospital because I had a, um, a bowel obstruction because um, I've had about eight or so abdominal surgeries. I've got so much scar tissue. And part of my, my, part of my small bowel had twisted on itself, caused this bowel obstruction. Then it caused this dead bowel and I had to remove 20 centimetres of my small bowel and stitch it back up. And 
I was pretty crook again. I'm only just sort of back end of recovering from that, um, which is um, which has been another bit of a bit of a little chapter. But I'm sort of back at work and, and feeling a lot better. I'm still on some treatment, which is sort of like a self a self administered in, uh, injection, which I've got another one next week. Um, but all in all, that's being said, like it sounds like a lot. I'm actually doing pretty well. Mm. Like um, most importantly, my mental health is actually in a really good place at the moment. Mm. Um, but I've had to really work on that over yeah. years. And that's something that often doesn't get talked about enough. We often focus on all the physical stuff and the mental health stuff gets pushed to the side, but I'm actually in a pretty good place, all things considered. Yeah, uh, let's, let's talk more about that because it's so important. And you, I, I can tell that you've been worried about the people around you and, yeah. you know, and, and trying to make it easy on them. So how, how tough has it been? Where do you turn for help when you, when you find that you really need help? And, and have you been able to do that? Yeah, look, I have. I think I've got so much better of it over the years in, you know, doing stuff like this, you know, being open and vulnerable and actually talking about my feelings. I never used to do that, but I realised, A, it's, it's, it's kind of therapeutic for me in a way and healing for me. Um, but also by kind of letting other people know what you're going through, they can kind of have a bit more of an insight and help you. Um, but I find that just having those people in your life that you can just always rely on, so if you like my partner now, if I'm having a really bad day, like she, I'll tell her if I'm having a really bad day. Um, and then it's just trialing new different things. And, and for me, it sounds silly. We've probably all heard of it, but like I've got a gratitude journal next to my bed and every night without fail, I've, it's got three little things that you're, you're grateful for in that day. Um, and I was even doing that when I was in hospital. Like, so if you've had a you know, really bad day, it's just a matter of finding the smallest little things like, you know what? that walk to work or that morning coffee I had was pretty good or, you know, cuddling my dog on the couch, you know, watching a movie was pretty good or whatever it might be, but just actually realising that it's actually been a, a bit of good in today, even though I feel like I haven't had a good day. So it's just working on stuff like that. Finding what works for you is, is the key and, and is having that support network. Not necessarily, it doesn't have, I see a psychologist, but it doesn't have to be a psychologist or a clinician. It can be a close friend or a colleague or a family member that you can, um, that you can re you know, really rely on and it could be two in the morning and you can feel like you can pick your phone up, you know, call your good mate and say, I'm having a shitty day, mate. Can we have a chat? Like that's the important stuff. It's just kind of having those conversations, normalising those conversations and actually talking about it goes a long way. Having been through the process now, what, what do you want people to know about testicular cancer and bowel cancer? What, what are the two things that, that we all need to know that we don't? Look, the, the biggest thing for testicular cancer and the easiest thing, and for all the blokes even watching this, you know, it's, it's something like, especially the younger blokes, it is a younger man's cancer. It's in the shower tonight when you're thinking of us, which is a little bit weird and sexual, but that's okay. When you, we're but in lovely, the, really lovely. Nice. It is, it, it, for the right reasons. In the shower tonight when you're kind of thinking because it's the best way to check it, actually have a check of your testicles. And it's something that whole self-check, self-awareness self piece. And, same thing for women and for all aspects of your body. It's like when you have, you know, freckles or lumps and bumps. It's just being aware of your body is, is the simple key. Like, you know your body better than anyone. Mm. So if there's a couple changes and you think that's not quite right, whether it's a lump on a testicle or it's a, you know, abnormal little freckle that you think I should probably have a skin check, um, that's the key. And then for, you know, for something like bowel cancer, you know, I often say the two-week rule. And that's not something that I, I necessarily invented. That was through like medical advice. They say that if you've got sort of inconsistencies that are not your normal, right, for over two weeks, so this isn't not like just a 
you know, I've eaten something that's kind of your guts are playing up. So over two weeks and things are playing up, it's usually a good sign to go off to your doctor. Um, so they're kind of the key ones. It's that self-checks, which everyone can do by themselves. And then if something's not quite right for that sort of over a couple of week period, just go see your doctor. What's, what's the worst that can happen is just having that check and going to see your doctor. Mm. Cancer and, and these two cancers are just so prevalent in society. As I said, one in two Australian men, one in three Australian women. What, what do you say to someone who might get the diagnosis tomorrow? Yeah, look, it, nothing can really prepare you for that. And I think people will handle it differently. And that's probably a key is that there's no right or wrong. Mm. But, you know, all I can say is that for me anyway, you know, having that support around you, and I know some people have, you know, more family support than others, but having some level of support around you because it's a bloody hard thing to go through by yourself. And, and if even if it's a, a friend, a colleague, a family member, it's just having them along with you because it will just make it that, you know, that little bit easier. Yep. What was the darkest day? What was the hardest part? Well, the hardest part probably outside of telling my old man and like telling my family. And I think there's actually a photo which I um, I often reflect on this photo, which I don't know if it's going to come up for those watching, but it's this, it's, it's, it's a time where I, I lost about 22 kilos in hospital. I was really crook. I had the bag and I was so unhappy though. And I've got this photo actually and it's um, – I often reflect on that photo and when I give presentations, I put the photo up and it can be a bit confronting, but for me, it's kind of a way of showing how far I've come. And if I'm having a really bad day or what I've recently gone through and I'm thinking, Jesus, this is like, I don't know if I can go this again. I look at that moment and that moment wasn't great. Like it's, you know, you just, you look at yourself and you just physically, mentally, you're just not in a good place. And um, I feel really sorry for like, that person who I was because I just know how like how much pain I was in um and it's well like I said I often reflect as that as kind of comparing myself to myself in the sense of I've come a long way um but that was yeah probably my my darkest my darkest days so how did you pick yourself back up yeah look it's tough it is tough and all those behind the scenes things that people probably don't see they often see me as being that positive you know optimistic guy um which you know i'm generally pretty positive but people really don't see the behind the scenes that say my partner sees and that's why she's such a beautiful person because she's probably put up with a lot of you know me being at my absolute worst so to be honest with you she's probably the reason that i kind of would give me that hope to pick myself up because when you've had times that you know you don't think you'll make it through the end of the week or the month or whatever having my partner there with that whether it's bringing me frozen watermelon in the hospitals because it's the only thing I could eat or that positive reinforcement or just that, you know, sense of, you know, optimism and positive reinforcement really goes a long way. So she's been my rock for sure. Has it changed your outlook on life, the way you go about life? Yeah, look, it definitely has. Like I think, like I said before, I'm actually in a pretty good place at the moment. Um, and when you go through these big health events, I'm sure there's people here today or people watching this who have, gone through you know massive events or adversity in their life and it definitely does um change your perspective um and i often like a little tagline i like is the fact that life's bloody precious <laughs> and you know once it's all said and done we all have stressful days we all have stuff going in life but the core of it is that life's precious and i think that it, it does change my perspective on things and i realized that like 
you were just reading out some stats before. Like I actually am one of the lucky ones because unfortunately there are so many people that aren't as lucky as I am. They're not here today sharing their story. So that's kind of my perspective on looking at things. And I try and just, you know, appreciate that little glass of wine that little bit more or, you know, appreciate being around friends and appreciate putting that uniform on. And they're the little things that I just like to, to reflect on. Yeah. You mentioned they're putting the uniform on and, and you mentioned earlier the amount of support that you'd got from your, your workmates and your colleagues. But how, how important has, has that support from, from Army and from your workmates and from the organisation been to you? Oh, it's massive. It's, it's huge. It's, you know, having, having that uniform, it's, you know, there is that sense of pride. And, you know, I think that's why largely a lot of people have those difficulties when they do transition out of the Army and they have got a lot going on in their lives is they probably underestimate how much that uniform did to them. You know, that kind of that safety blanket, that, that family, like you've, you've got these colleagues and this, this special community and we were chatting before about it, how like you, when you were saying when you put your uniform on, it's that, it's, you know, quite that special community that you're part of. Um, for me, it's massive and I'm so proud that I'm still serving and I'd like to think I can, you know, still contribute, you know, to the army in some way, shape or form because um, it's so important to have that purpose. Like if you, if you don't have purpose, you know, things can be, um, you know, things can be pretty difficult. So on that, let's talk about what lies ahead. Uh, married in November. Yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. That's coming up. Uh, what about, what are your hopes and dreams? What, what happens from here? Where are you looking to? Look, it's, um, I don't have necessarily long-term goals as far as naturally I'm, I, I can be um, a bit pessimistic on the health front of it can be deflating in a way of, you know, I don't want to plan too far ahead because it's like, you know, for example, I have to change my honeymoon because I'm not allowed to go overseas because this recent health event can happen again. But that being said, I still like to look at things like the wedding coming up and then also like I was saying to my partner last night, we both would love to move back to Adelaide. We're both from Adelaide. Adelaide Hills, dogs running around like that. You know, Adelaide Hills property wineries nearby. Like that sort of stuff that I visualise kind of, that's what makes me really happy. And then on a work front, I'm off to um, DFR next year. So I'm really excited to kind of in Sydney to, to move into the, the world of recruitment um, and kind of it's, it's something a bit different to welfare, but it's still around people and it's something I can think I can contribute to as well. And like I said, I'm a, a good news story of how the army supported me. I'm a massive advocate for the army. So I'm also looking forward to that. And what happens after that, I'm not too sure, but there's um, definitely some things to look forward to. Yeah. Tell us, just explain for us how, how this whole process you've been through has made you better in your role as a, as a welfare officer. I mean, obviously you, you have a whole new perspective now. Absolutely. It's that, um, look, I'm a massive one for, for that lived experience of, of someone going through something that someone else can relate to. Um, and I, you know, do share my story, you know, quite a bit and I share in uniform and out of uniform. And the amount of conversations I've had with soldiers um, from all demographics, whether it's a, you know, Warren officer who's been in for 30 years or a young private who's come up to me after a presentation or after I've shared my story and some of them might have had a few tears and something they're going through and they start opening up about um, an experience they've had. It's quite a rewarding, strange feeling when you can kind of... Um, almost use what I've gone through in these really shitty times to help someone else, but then encourage others when they're ready to do so to go, hey, like your story might also be able to help someone else. And having that relate relatability of seeing, hang on, this guy's a young bloke who's gone through all this. He's not too dissimilar for me, how I'm feeling at the moment with my mental health and all that type of stuff. I'm actually, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm not going through this by myself. So it's kind of just having those conversations. Um, 
breaking that stigma down a little bit. So that's kind of what I'm really kind of embracing, enjoying doing at the moment. I think you hit on something important earlier when you talked about vulnerability. You know, that honesty and vulnerability is just so important. Um, Hugo, we're out of time. I uh, just want to say thank you very much. Thanks for your honesty and for being so vulnerable in telling your story and for sharing your story because it will make dif- a big difference to a lot of people. So thank you. Good luck. All the best for the wedding and uh, good luck for your career ahead. We look forward to following. Thanks, man. Thanks, Hugo. Appreciate it. Uh, just a couple of quick reminders from the Cove too. Don't forget uh, to stay in touch. Keep with the app and the writing competition is underway. You might have been inspired by something you heard tonight. Uh, but thanks very much for joining us, everyone. We'll have more Cove chats coming up shortly. I'm Major Mark Beretta. Have a great night. See you soon. Thanks very much.